I don't say that fucking lightly because the collateral damage is mostly African nations. And that's sad. And that ultimately all falls back onto America. And it's a relentless antagonizing of Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union, completely cutting off the Russian banking system, completely cutting off the Russian central bank, using the SWIFT option, and I mean all the way, not just being selective with some Russian banks, going all the way with every SWIFT uh, you know, member from Russia, member bank, being cut off, that is the nuclear economic weapon. The Tykeens podcast contains language that may be offensive to your sensibilities. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're going to talk about Vladimir Putin and his capital flows. How does money move across borders? Stay tuned and find out next. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Ty Keens. Today, we're going to be talking about Vladimir Putin and his capital flows. And what do I mean about capital flows? Well, specifically, I'm going to talk about the SWIFT banking network in this podcast. Um, And the SWIFT uh, banking network stands for the Society of Worldwide International Financial Telecommunications. So it's a system, it's a communication system to send messages to institutions that are part of this communication system um, to debit and credit accounts. So before I get into Putin and the whole Russia thing, it's important to understand what corresponding banks are and what intermediate banks are. So the terms are interchangeable in a lot of countries. And in some countries, intermediate means a bank that will settle, has accounts with other banks, holds accounts for other banks, and will settle overnight with them, much like the Federal Reserve does. Corresponding banks generally mean uh, international transactions, So Bank of America is a corresponding bank, and it's uh, in the SWIFT network. So if you wanted to send money, and this is why the American dollar and just usually one currency is the dominant currency on the planet, it's because it's easier to have just one currency to trade. So what what, uh, the uh, Bank of America, and there's there's 11,000 institutions um, part of the SWIFT communication network, um... What happens is if you're a local bank and you've got a customer that makes a, makes a purchase abroad, abroad, this is what happens. That customer's account is marked down by the local bank. That local bank has an account with Bank of America, who's a corresponding bank. And they're going to trade uh, with a country in Germany, let's say. And the, the German local bank um, banks with a corresponding bank as well maybe a German corresponding bank, and they're all trading in U.S. dollars at this point. The two corresponding banks, maybe the German corresponding bank and the Bank of America, will have accounts with each other as well. So a local bank uh, might not have the same corresponding uh, bank as uh, a local bank in Germany, uh, but they will be attached to a corresponding bank, a large bank to some degree. And those big corresponding banks are part of the SWIFT network, and they hold accounts with each other. And so that's how money moves internationally. Now, the message is sent with SWIFT. It doesn't mean that de- accounts are debited and credited right away. Ultimately, they have to be settled. Um, this is not the only, this is the most popular uh, settling system globally. 
You've got other settling systems like the Fedwire that deals in settlement balances or reserves uh, for the Federal Reserve Bank of America. You have CHIPS, which is another settling um, system. So there's they, there are these systems uh, abound. Uh, the, the predecessor to the SWIFT uh, network was Telex. And Telex, you literally had to type these messages, spe- sending specific instructions. They were open to interpretation. It was slow. You had to manually feed it. It became obsolete. And then we have now um, SWIFT. And SWIFT is really fast. Every bank has a special code. It's pretty much fail-safe. So during 2022, the European Union decided to place specific bans on some Russian banks using the SWIFT network. So those banks couldn't uh, trade internationally. Um, the question is, is this effective at stopping Vladimir, Vladimir Putin's capital flows? Well, if we look at uh, what's happened uh, realistically on the ground, trade has increased uh, a lot more with China. So China and the U.S. can still, their banks will correspond with each other and it's business as usual. Um, China has gotten some great deals on oil from Russia. So there's a, it's questionable how effective it has been. Um, of course, we're seeing the um, ruble drop uh, quite rapidly over the last two weeks, which is the Rus- Russian currency. Um, so maybe to affect these uh, these um, measurements by banning specific, and I must note that the Western side really crafted um, these sanctions and specifically the SWIFT bans on specific banks targeting individuals that use that bank. So it is not as to say that um, Russia is completely cut off. We need their resources. That's the bottom line. So we can't put a blanket SWIFT ban on them. Um, but that, that really, without SWIFT, you're, you're fucking hooped in a lot of ways. So if a country went without SWIFT, there's no international trade. Now there are other methods. Maybe you could take a wheelbarrow money on the, uh, you know, next jet liner and ship it on over, (laughs) uh, to another country. Um, but generally the cash doesn't go like physical cash, there are countries that use the U.S. dollar as their primary currency, but in international trade, it's just accounts, you know, liability and assets uh, accounts that are marked up and down, debited and credited, okay? And that's how it works. Another interesting fact you should know, too, is that system of banks just holding accounts with each other could be applied to a country you wouldn't even need a central bank. I don't know how good or bad that would be, giving, you know, complete control to the private banking sector. But essentially, just for my MMT viewers that really understand what settlement balances are, that they settle between banks, and these accounts are held at a central bank, corresponding bank or an intermediate bank is much the same. They're holding reserve credits, um, so... Small banks will hold accounts at the bigger banks like Bank of America, right? Bank of America will have a connection sharing, having accounts with other big uh, international corresponding banks just to mark up the accounts along the way. And that's how uh, the financial system works. Um, just, just so you know. And that's been the main target 
um, and really enforcing any um, sanctions on Russia, and specifically Vladimir Putin and his goons. I guess we could touch on, you know, you know, Vladimir Putin himself. Listen, bottom line, we we're trying to have established international norms. You can't fucking waltz your way into um, sovereign countries in this day and age. At least that's the hope, considering the devastating weapons we possess now as a species. So the consequences are far worse than World War II. Okay. So from that perspective, tactical mistake by Russia, tactical, tactical mistake by Putin. But I, I am a systems thinker, okay? So I always look at things in, in causal loops, the negative feedback loops, the positive feedback loops. You can call them reinforcing loops and uh, balancing loops too. Um, we have been up Russia's fucking ass since the end of the Cold War, uh, pushing NATO, uh, you know, further and further east, right? So I get, I get the sovereign aspect where Putin's coming from um, because the West wouldn't accept the reverse. Our ideology would not fucking accept the reverse of China and crouching West, okay? So we have antagonized We've antagonized Russia for many, many decades now, right? So eventually there was going to be some sort of response. I would love to be in the mind of Vladimir Putin. You know, what really? So Ukraine is the biggest nation on the fucking border in Europe to Russia, right? So it's kind of the last straw before, you know, it's a wall of European countries, you know, right up against the Russian border. Um, so I'd like to be in Vladimir's mind. Did he really think his military was superior? Did he think um, that this would fracture the relationships within NATO? Did he think because the resources he possessed that there wouldn't be some sort of economic response? Although I would say the economic response has been weak because we here in the West are kind of weak as citizens. We need our fucking energy. When we don't have our fucking energy, our society starts breaking down. Okay, so we have had to make compromises in our hard stance and standing with the Ukrainian people. Um, so I, I really wonder what, what, you know, the calculus in Putin's mind going into this. And I suspect he believed the three things I outlined. I suspect he thought his military was more capable. There were reports that he was trying to modernize his um, military over the last decade. You know, obviously, the energy that Russia provides to the globe is, you know, it's held, you know, especially Europe, quite hostage over 20 years, right? Um, so there, there's that aspect to it, right? And then there's the economic aspect, right, which is intertwined with it all, right? We, in a, in a connected, globalized world, we count on fucking Russia, <laughs> right? You know... And I think a lot of the geopolitics, right, and keeping um, Russia in the fold was to keep them from falling back on China, right? 
So we we didn't necessarily want, you know, Russia as the next NATO member, but we wanted them in the Western fold of, you know, economic supremacy, right? This is why after the Cold War, you know, you know, being involved in SWIFT and all the economic systems were offered to Russia, the Russian Federation in full. That was by design, right? That was a neoliberal fucking design. Right? And that was to keep a divide between Russia and China. And there's always been the BRICS rise, right? And, we're, and for you who don't know what the BRICS are, you've got Brazil, you've got Russia, Okay, that's the R. You've got India. You've got China. That's the C. And now, of course, the latest member is South Africa. There's issues with that organization. The, the biggest one is that three of those countries haven't been the economic success that they have been, you know, touted to be. That would be Brazil, South Africa, um, and Russia. The two that have been very successful are India and China. But India and China are geopolitical fucking rivals. <laughs> so there's that whole thing, right? And that's been an up-and-coming thing, right? And the West has saw it and always wanted to counteract it. What's the end game? You know, what's the end game for fucking Putin at this point? You know, militarily, conventionally, it's, a, it's probably, at, for Russia, at best, a stalemate at this point. Conventional war. We're, we're not talking anything nuclear here. It's probably, um, the it's a stalemate at, at this point. Um, I think, at this point, Putin's best hope, you know, for uh, domestic appeal um, is to hold um, the parts of Ukraine that they have taken. Um, and claim a victory, you know, a, vict a victory against the West, you know. Ukraine's obviously 100% fucking against that. Um, and, of course, that ties the hands of NATO um, and the West and the media's per, uh, portrayal of this is, you know, those are unlawfully seized, seized lands and it, Russia cannot be allowed to do that, although we let Crimea go in 2014. You know, what could really sway this without turning it into a hot war between NATO and Russia is probably greater economic sanctions. Um, it's a risky game in itself, but if, if we don't want to accept, accept the stalemate, um, Essentially, the only option is to hurt the Russian people with sanctions. And that means a complete shutdown of SWIFT. That also means fucking hardship for us, right? And the hardest part about that is ethically, it won't be the global north of the West that suffers most. It's the global south that, that depend on grain from Russia, depend on grain from Ukraine, Right? So that is that is a fucking issue we face, right? And this is the issue with capital flows and their effectiveness is it is essentially, you know, SWIFT, using the SWIFT option, and I mean all the way, not just being selective with some Russian banks, going all the way with every SWIFT uh, 
you know, member from Russia, member bank being cut off. That is the nuclear economic weapon. Okay. And the dynamics, the feedbacks, and looking at it from a systems thinking perspective, if we look at the globe and politics as a complex system, all that does will drive, um, China will like it. China will fucking like that. Because China wants to, they don't want conflict with the West. They want Russia in their fold, right? Right, they really do, as if we look at the brick aspect, right, China really wants, you know, South Africa as a partner, Brazil as a strong partner, Russia as a strong partner. And if they could ever overcome their disagreements with India, which seems like a long fucking shot at this point, they would like them in that economic network. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. So this is where we're left, right? Do we just stay at the stalemate? And okay, so we stay at a stalemate and we've got a broker deal somewhere down the line, let's say a year. We've accepted that Russia took over part of Ukraine and we did nothing about it. That's the end game. It doesn't matter about the funding, the weaponry that's been sent to Ukraine at the end of the day, Russia gets the win. We get the W. Ukraine gets the W, right? Uh, a brokered peace is great for the people. But this is the perception. And what are the dynamics going into the future? What are the dynamics of China watching this? China watching the reaction to the West. Didn't want to go too far because we play a dangerous game with nuclear powers. Um and when I talk about this, I think about things like Taiwan, right? So it, set, it sets a precedence, right? I don't want to see a hot war between NATO and Russia ever. That would be a fucking nightmare. I don't think it would turn out well. Um, but if we want to... This is hard because what are international norms? Are international norms a Western thing? Because, hey, all of my viewers, most of them, are probably all Westerners. So we think we're the fucking right, you know, we're the fucking heroes of the world. I don't think that way, right? I don't. I think we're the empire of the world. And and impelling the rest of the world to see our worldviews. And that has been the, the international norm. So just saying international norm is di- difficult, but if anything, it's it's been peaceful since World War II. There's been, you know, the you know imperialistic um, invasions by the United States over the fucking years. Uh, but there hasn't been a big, big war, per se. So there's been some... Some deal of fucking control. Um, and a lot of that's been through economic coercion. And so we we could continue that. If that is, if we want to just uh, end this and give Russia the loss, and in itself we know that Putin probably falls at that point and there's turmoil within Russia and we don't know the dynamics of that. But if we are, are strong on international norms, we have to go all the way with economic um, sanctions. And that means, you know, completely cutting off the Russian banking system, completely cutting off the Russian central bank, right? 
and dealing with the pain ourselves, right? The collateral damage. But it's, it's, um, I don't say that fucking lightly because the collateral damage is mostly African nations. And that's sad. And that ultimately all falls back onto America. And it's a relentless antagonizing of Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union. Right. They didn't have to do that. Russia was a beat, beat empire, right? Well, look at Germany now since World War II. It's a leading economic country, right? Russia could have been welcomed into that fold as well. You know, and now we have, you know, to our economic norms, and I'm not a China hater, but our economic rival as Western countries, G7 countries, um, is China, right? So we would have had a friendly country in Russia on China's border. So now we're surrounding them on the north, right? Could have had, you know, more support in the Middle East, but we know how America fucking blows that place up every 20 years. So, you know, all of this, ultimately, I I blame America and its fuckery, right? But we are in it now. There are innocent people in Russia. There are innocent people in Ukraine. There are innocent people in Africa. I'm thinking about the places that are immediately affected by any decisions going forward. What's to say in 10 years, let's say there's a brokered uh, deal. There's no more ECA and all the economic consequences are stopped. Because I'll tell you about one thing. Even as the the consequences now, they will have to stop because we need to roll Russia back into the the economic social norm, the international Western international norm. Have to, have to. So those those sanctions will be rolled back immediately. So let's say we broker a deal. It's where the lines are. Russia gets the territory they get. Let's just say in ten years they don't do this again. Because we know America's always going to be fucking provocative. You know? They are like the shit stain in your white underwear that you can never wash out. Doesn't matter how much fucking bleach you pour on it. That's America, right? I ain't never going away. So, you leave it at the current situation. You're just going to get Russia antagonized again, right? You know, we've got, what is it, Finland is now accepted, Sweden's on the table, right? You know, God forbid we ever court Belarus. Really piss fucking um, Russia off then, right? So, capital flows. We want to beat Russia, we want to beat Putin. We've got to hurt the general population of Russia and Africans. And that's sad. That's sad. That's war. That's war. Waged in the 21st century without it going hot into something that's irreversible. And I speak about chemical warfare, warfare nuclear warfare. Um, we have to go all the way economically. 
Now, what are the chances that if we go all the way economically, let's say, and I do what I propose, which is, you know, complete cutoff from SWIFT, complete cutoff from the Russian central bank. What if Putin is more desperate than we think? So the dynamic there is that the people would uh, rise against Putin before Putin could rise and do anything irrational. Um, and I speak to MAD, which is mutually assured destruction. It's essentially why we haven't had a nuclear war. We all fucking die, right? Until one person, you know, has nothing left to lose, right? Putin's life is in danger if he ever leaves power. It's in danger now. That's it's And it's forever at this point. You know, he can, wherever he goes, right? There's, you know, after this is done, he's a pariah of the Western nations, per se. Um, the hope is that, you know, the people would just rise up or some military generals would overthrow Putin and hopefully put another political figure in there, like their prime minister, and just get rid of the president thing in, in uh, Russia because that, that didn't seem to work for them. And I mean for their people. It hasn't worked for their people. So maybe they just need a pure parliamentary system with no executive on top. Maybe they should join the fucking Commonwealth. Maybe they should go to that new king and say, you know what? We want a new system and we want you to be our king. (laughs) Doubtful. Doubtful. And I joke. Um, But yeah, the full economic, you know, weaponry is going to make Putin desperate and it's going to make the Russian people desperate. And I guess the hope would be at that point is that the Russian people take it into their own hands. And then once that's done, we have to roll it back immediately and provide not only assistance for Ukraine, but assistance for Russia, right? And do it right this time. Not fucking antagonize. Keep fucking America out of it. Send fucking Trudeau over there from Canada. Eh? Send him over there. Put him on the lead. <laughs> right? Don't put anybody from America. Right? They're just, they're a shit show. Complete shit show. Right? You know, we'll use their weaponry. You know, when we need to, our countries need defending, we've got America. But the di- diplomatic part, you know, Short of it being Donald Trump going to visit Kim Jong-un, right? <laughs> and some symbolic bullshit fuckery. Keep him out of it. So anyways, my main message was, you know, our SWIFT network is really how money um, transacts across our global planet. And it is the most eco- efficient economic weapon we have at our disposal and what we are currently using against Russia but in a limited fashion. And I would argue just go all the way. So the Russians are already suffering, right? So just this prolonged stalemate, it's not good for anybody. And I don't see Ukraine or Russia coming to the table. They're too far apart. Maybe something changes, but, you know, as Western observers, especially I would say the European Union, who initiated the SWIFT, selected SWIFT sanctions. Um, it's in their importance to really put the nail in the coffin on this, right? 
If this is true, this is economic warfare between what the West and Russia. Let's call it what it is. Let's just call it what it is. That is, it's economic warfare, right? And economic warfare, it's got to be cutthroat in order for it to work, right? You can't be loopholes or it doesn't really work. So that's my rant this week. Um, you know, we've got uh, Steve and friends. We've got Clint Bullinger again, part two. He's going to be talking to Steve this time. So that's good. So watch that this weekend. So if you're listening to the podcast now, um, Sunday, you'll be watching this on YouTube. Make sure you hit the like button, subscribe to my channel, watch all my shorts. If you like system dynamics, I give out really great tutorials on how to use the Minsky system dynamic economic software program. You can find me on Tykeens. All my models are there. All my podcasts, all that shit. Everything about me is there. You can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Tykeens. You know, also, it's at Tykeens on YouTube. Tykeens on LinkedIn. If you want that real Midas professional touch. Anyways, until next week, bye-bye.